When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From Maze and Brew, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network. Podcast that was played as the volcano at Pompeii erupted to help soothe the frightened villagers. I am Jared Stormer of mazeandbrew.com. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, my hetero life mate, also of mazeandbrew.com. Andy, the Crimson Count, the Red Menace, the Spout of Optimism. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, man. Besides the fact I have to go to a GD wedding this weekend and watching the game is going to be difficult, but it will be achieved. Don't you don't never never fear. I will be watching the game no matter what, even as one of my close friends and his bride to be do their nuptials. I am going to be watching. Uh, I mean, good for them. But I think I speak for every living, breathing person on the planet when I say we wish nothing but the worst for them for scheduling this on such an important college football Saturday. Like, why not do this during uh, Colorado State? Like just when I was believing in God again, this happens. <laughs> well, that's on you, brother. Could have told you otherwise. <laughs> uh, we've got a great one this week, man. After a win against Indiana and the biggest game of the season by far coming up next weekend. So let's get into this here. Let's start with some quick hits. And the first quick hit is a literal hit that came from Draymond Green on Jordan Poole. As if the rivalry between Michigan and Michigan State wasn't vile enough. Go ahead and add this to the saga. Uh, us being pool guys, I mean, I'm not the biggest pool guy in the planet, but I mean, it's undeniable how good he was for Michigan and how good he is currently. So uh, what was your takeaway from this whole incident? The biggest talking point in the NBA right now. I think it was a little overblown because I think altercations in practice happen more likely than we're ever willing to admit. It's sports at any level. Stuff like this is going to come to a head. I thought it was a cheap shot by Draymond Green, though, especially coming after a smaller guy such as Poole as it is. 
But I, I, th- I think it's a little bit like, like I said, overblown, but it's still, it's nothing you want in a team, but to just see any dysfunction upon like the, you think it's the perfect family. Like you have the crazy one in Draymond, you got the golden child and Steph. So to see any kind of dysfunction, any little chinks in the armor, it's going to be a new story. Yeah, definitely is going to be. And like the Michigan, Michigan state part of it. Like we wondered when they drafted him, like, Oh, that could be contentious. And then Jordan Poole gets really, really good. They're both kind of vying for a new contract there. So it's juicy. It's a juicy bit of gossip. It's a little bit out of our purview. So let's move on. Why don't you draw, Drop some hockey knowledge on us, sir. Oh, man. What an interesting weekend it was. So Michigan hockey officially dropped the puck on the new season this past weekend, played Friday and Saturday against Lindenwood, their first time up at the Division I level this year. And their schedule couldn't have started off any harder. They played the Golden Gophers of Minnesota last weekend, and or two weekends ago in Michigan last weekend. And they started out the first game up 2 nothing. Michigan looks sloppy, rusty. And I was getting a little bit concerned, but then Michigan put in about six goals within like a six-minute span across a, a period and a half. So that was that was just gorgeous to watch. Second game did the same. A lot of stuff to clean up. Um, still with like get too many allowing too many odd man breakaways, too many rushes, too many just scoring chances that are unnecessarily there. Really, just unforced errors. But offensively. This team has a such a high ceiling. Adam Fantilli is ad, as advertised. Frankie Nazar is not even playing yet. Luke Hughes didn't even score a goal. He got on the score sheet finally with an assist in the second game. But there's just so much potential, such a high ceiling. It's going to be a cardiac kind of season where this team could beat anybody on a given night by five goals or lose by five goals. So I'm really excited. I got a big test this coming weekend against BU. Boston Terriers are coming to Ann Arbor playing Friday and Sunday. So it'll be a big test. They're ranked number 12 in the country. I love it, man. Look at how dialed in you are in this. Look, uh, here's my contribution. They have a guy named Seamus Casey that's playing hockey. Look, I'm all the way in. Are you kidding me? Is there a better hockey name that's ever existed than that? That man is meant to smoke lucky strikes and get into pub fights and play hockey. Nothing else. He is a dog too, man. Freshman defenseman just has a nasty wrister, plays with just a reckless abandon on both ends of the ice. So no, great pick for your favorite on just name alone. Yeah, I'm going names. It's a little early here. As the season goes along, I'll tune in a little bit more and actually find a player that I like based on merit. But uh, great update there. Excited for the hockey team. I'm uh, going to start covering basketball. It's one week too early, but I think starting next week, we can start looking forward to that. You brought up a great point three captains instead of one last year. That's just a great indicator of what this team could be. So I am starting to get excited about that. Yeah. And it's the, it's the right people. I I, mean, I don't know how to like really express what that means, but it's, it's Hunter Dickinson, your best player. It's Terrence Williams. You know, maybe your third best player, good glue guy does a lot of fundamental stuff. And then it's Jace Howard, a kid who hasn't had a lot of like playing time in his first few years at Michigan. The fact that he's a team captain, having those three levels of guys like assume the leadership responsibilities. I just, I don't know. I'm excited about the basketball season off knowing nothing but that. I'm with you, man. I'm really looking forward to that. I think we're going to have a good year. It's just one of those sneaky fun teams. So looking forward to talking ball with you here as the season progresses. Uh, Last quick hit. Let's talk some injury news because there just hasn't been a lot of updates. I'm not going to be overly critical 
of the staff for it because in some years you get a little bit more in other years you don't get much as far as injuries this has been uh, the latter where we haven't heard much Roman Wilson didn't play against Indiana neither did Eric All Mackay Hill Green we know Caden Colasar and long snapper William Wagner are both out for the season so wishing them a speedy recovery as far as anybody else we don't know who we're going to be getting back does it irk you a little bit that we're so in the dark on these injury issues like we heard whispers that Eric Ald might be out for the season now we just haven't heard anything since then as a member of the media yes because I want to know all things at all times but I understand if there's like uncertainty or if they don't if they don't have to put it out there don't put it out there I mean Harbaugh and this staff and all major college football programs have to do so much media and publicity and every other thing at a certain point I can understand getting sick of it and why help your opponent at all? Why, why don't you just keep them guessing? Keep that close to the chest. Maybe they're going to play this week. Now you might see this guy here and there. So from a strategy standpoint, from a fed up standpoint of just talking all the time about it, I get where they're coming from. Sure. Yeah. And the gamesmanship aspect of it, not putting anything out there that you don't need to put out there. But it would be nice to know, as you mentioned, for our podcasting. But I don't think they're thinking of that when they come out with their injury report. The Nakai Hill Green one is the one that we've just been watching and watching at one point cited as a soft tissue injury. Little update. So it's something lower body. It's something soft tissue was not expected to be season ending. But we just don't know. And it was kind of like, a well, you know, we can deal with them. We can deal with get by without them. It's officially the week where we kind of need to have him so that's the one that really really hopeful that he could play in this one but there's no reason to believe that he will no and soft tissue could be tendons ligaments such as like acls lcls pcls mcls any of the l's could be a lot of that so just by saying that it's a good it's a way to gloss over all of it so who knows what he's working over hopefully it's just some you know stress related injury where he needs just a little bit more time off to get game ready but uh, at the linebacker position we need him we definitely need him of, uh, of all positions on the field. Yeah, and you could easily argue Roman Wilson as our best wide receiver, and I would say we need our second-best linebacker, Nakai Hill Green, more than we need Roman Wilson right now. So just a testament to the depth there, but that's not anything surprising. Any other quick hits from you, sir, and we'll get into the Indiana game. Uh, no, let's keep it moving. All right, Indiana, we come out of this one on top, 31-10 to 10 on the road in Bloomington. Weird, weird game. Everything going to be dominated by the Mike Hart headline in this one. We are obviously thinking, praying for him and his family after that scary situation. I wasn't watching it live, but you know, was texting with you and then heard about it when I was able to tune in, and immediately that's where my concern went to. And uh, after that, you can understand this team being sluggish, and they were a little bit. It was a poorly officiated game, so some of it wasn't just mental lapses. Some of it was poor officiating. But in the end, they come out on top 31-10, to 10, mostly behind J.J. Blake Corum's early touchdown and then this defense in the second half. So give me your early takeaways from Indiana. We can start uh, on the defense if you want. Um, defensively, as Harbaugh said last night on his radio show, it was the coming out party for the pass rush. I mean, seven sacks, 10 tackles for loss, 30 pressures. I mean, that's just Crazy. insane kind of, kind of production. And the fact that it was seven sacks from seven different players, I mean, completely just shut down the running game in this one as well. Um, yeah, that, that was the storyline of this day. I'm putting everything in the first half like in its own separate box. I'm just so impressed by this team as a whole, able to go in at halftime and come out and then really play. So that's what that's what I'm taking out of this. Like the first half, dealing with the trauma of seeing Mike Hart on the sideline convulse, 
I, I can't imagine what that's like and how to overcome that, especially when you're 18 to 21. So from a second half perspective, the proper evaluation or the first drive, the second or the first half, if you want to look at that, but the second half, I was so blown away with their adjustments, their intensity, and the way the defensive line and pass rush really just took over this whole game. Yeah, you mentioned the seven sacks by seven different players. That was outstanding. Uh, held them to 19 rushing yards, 222 total yards of offense, which is just great. 222 yards is is going to beat most opponents that you come across. Top scoring defense after six we- weeks right now. If you want to find some little nitpicks, got to find a way to stop the bubble screens and the short crossers a little better. Obviously, people are going to attack our linebackers. That's nothing new. So, I mean, there was some of that early on, but it's really too difficult to find too much to nitpick when the defense comes out and they essentially win this thing by saying, look, we we don't know what's going on. The offensive guys are reeling right now. This is a weird game. There's a lot of emotions going on. Let's handle what we can handle. And that was stopping Indiana. That was stopping their rushing attack. That was getting after Connor Bazelak, especially in the second half. And just making it so hard for Indiana to get into anything that they wanted to do. Uh, Some players that were really, really impactful in this one. Mike Morris, once again. Jalen Harrell starting to show out, which I know you were super excited to see. Mike Sainra still continues to be an impact player. Pretty much everybody on the defensive line eight in this one. Ayabi Oki as well. In the back half, Jamon Green still yet to really be tested. I Harbaugh mentioned it. When's the last time we saw a pass completed on him? So just a great effort by the defense in general and the defensive line really separating themselves at this point. Yeah, and if we're gonna start, if we're gonna nitpick a little bit, like on the back end, you mentioned a few like very key names, and I'd like to also point out Rod Moore as well. He was a big factor in shutting down some of those bubble screens later in the game. Um, I think the biggest nitpick is DJ Turner because he was maybe maybe a victim of expectations for what we saw last year. But this year, he tends to be playing a little more like bait the quarterback into it and relying on his speed because we heard tail in the offseason. He's the fastest player on the team. Rumor is he runs like a high 4-2. And you can see him close. But if you're getting beat by two or three steps and the difference is a tenth of a second in your speed, you're not going to be able to make up that ground. And that's what happened to him a few times in this game. So I think his greediness is maybe his ego is getting the best of him at times. And I would prefer him to just not give up a completion instead of risking it all for an interception. You texted me and called him the Diet Coke Trayvon Diggs, and I was like, harsh but fair. You might be onto something with that one, at least in the last couple games. This is a small sample size, but against teams that actually have like a competent, you know, group of personnel and actually have an offense that can come out there and score points on a power five opponent. He has gotten too greedy and he has gotten away from the sound fundamentals that we need him to have. Like, and and that could be taken two ways. One of which is he knows he's so talented that he's the best guy out there that he should be making an interception every time. And the other way to take it the way that I think you and I are taking it right now is that he's just way, way, way too interested in making a big game changing play when the easy, simple play is just to knock it down or to make the quick tackle or to just get in front of it, disrupt the play. So I think it's all fixable, but we both held him to a really high standard. That was the guy that we were the highest on. I was so ready to buy his jersey. I love watching the secondary. So he has disappointed me, like especially last week. Now he played better in the second half as the whole defense did, but 
he had that play that I mentioned to you. It um, didn't end up mattering because Braden McGregor got a rushing the, uh, or excuse me, roughing the passer on that. But his pass interference was so egregious. And then he held up his hands like, what do you do? What are you talking about here? And I'm like, bro, that was the most egregious pass interference of 2022. Like, come on now. You're all up in your head here. So, like, I think it's mental. But, yeah, my eyes are on DJ Turner. I knocked him out of my first round projections. That's for sure. And like like you said at the top of that, it's a very small sample size and we're nitpicking because we have such high expectations. And I believe with Clink Scale and Jay Harbaugh, they'll find a way to fix it. And what made Jordan Lewis so great? I believe it was 15 when he had the single season Michigan record for pass deflections was because he was just playing for playing for that playing for incompletions. He wasn't just risking it all for the interception. And I, I think Turner can turn it around, but you and I talked about in the preseason, you said it's often at Michigan, the most talked about corner in the off season is not the star of the year. And that's when you're starting to kind of put some stock into Jamon green. And he's been lights out this year with technique and teams have gone away from testing him and turned to testing Turner. Yeah, man. And sometimes best corner on your team is going to have zero stats because nobody wants anything to do with that side of the field. So and, and I think when we've been at our best in past defenses, 15, 16 and 18, you know, it's been guys like that. It's been Jordan Lewis and David Long who are fine back there just making the right play and making it very difficult to test that side of the field. So if Turner can just get back to that, make it, you know, difficult to test that side of the field not dangerous necessarily not like oh i might throw into a pick because right now i don't think teams are afraid to throw at him based on what i've seen on tape but uh let's move over to the offense uh that's enough on the defense who were probably the best unit of the day but the offense was really good on this day despite going in 10 10 at the half pass protection was really great trente jones went out in this one hoping for the best for him Run blocking was good, but the run game did kind of get stifled in the second half of this thing. And then JJ coming out a little inaccurately, even though they go three straight passes to start this, which I thought was interesting play calling. But then it doesn't matter because he's still completing passes and they're getting going, getting into a rhythm. And then there's the 51 yard quorum rush that opened things up and the offense coming out looked really, really in sync. But you and I have talked about on a couple podcasts. We don't take too much into the first scripted drives. The first two drives should look really good, really crisp. Yeah, and, and credit to the OCs because they have looked really crisp. Last several weeks, the offensive play calling to begin these games has been fantastic. And then obviously everything in the first half transpires on the sideline. And I understand the dejection on the field, being distraught on the sideline. So coming out in the second half and scoring 21 points is very impressive. And the way they did it with, I mean, they almost had 28 with the, you know, the McCarthy pass to Ronnie Bell being intercepted in the end zone. So, I mean, just four really solid drives in the second half. One of them, the 98 yard drive was just masterful facing long third downs, opening up the passing game a little bit more, getting Andrew Anthony involved. And then even the run game, when you're trying to milk the clock late, they had worn them out despite running into eight, nine man boxes. And you and I will talk about this later, but I believe there's a strategy behind that. Why we didn't see a little bit more, kind of didn't need to. And no, it was an impressive close to the game, but more importantly, it was an impressive turning of the page from the first half to the second half with everything that happened. A lot of great points in there. I want to start with the one that you kind of opened with when we were talking at the game at large, and that's the response after the Mike Hart incident on the sidelines. At the time, it was 7-7. We trade field goals, go into the half 10-10. 
and then they do not score again. Indiana does not score again. So that, you know, as we mentioned, you know, we already moved past the defense, but kudos to them. But then also credit to the offense for getting into a gear. You mentioned the 90 yard, eight yard drive, which was just beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Had to have it. JJ making something out of nothing a couple times on that. Even when CJ dropped one, he comes right back, finds Ronnie across the middle to get us out of the, uh, our own end zone there. That was absolutely spectacular. And uh, yeah, you mentioned the box that we were seeing against Indiana. I just find it kind of like in a gamesmanship sense, interesting to look at against Maryland and Iowa what they stacked up against us and how they were planning to beat us. They're like, all right, we don't know about your quarterback. We're going to drop back and make you run the ball. And we're like, bet happy to do it. Like we got Blake Corum in this offensive line. And then Indiana's like, all right, well, clearly that's not the way to do it. We're going to stack the box. We're going to get our linebackers moving downhill and make JJ win, which was kind of what we expected in this. And he was able to do that. Now, this is a quick aside, but moving forward, which strategy, if you were facing Michigan, would you favor? Would you favor make J.J. McCarthy beat me or make Blake Corum and the offensive line beat me? <laughs> Are you kidding me? I, <laughs> I was laughing. Would make, J- make, make J.J. beat me. I want nothing to – like Blake Corum on his Instagram said, you see me fighting a bear, you better help the bear. <laughs> I know. I was laughing as I said it because I'm like, come on now. So I think Indiana's strategy is going to be the preferred strategy moving forward. Like, yeah, let's go ahead and make J.J. McCarthy beat us because, like, they definitely can run the ball. I can't believe that – Maryland thought we wouldn't be able to run the ball, even though they've had the best game plan against us. But let's move aside from that. This was an overall good performance by the offense. Blake Corum, man, like no one's going to hold it against you for having a game that, I mean, you're still, you've still went over 100 yards and a touchdown. You're still like the leading rusher, leading touchdown getter. So to say it was like a rough game for him doesn't even seem accurate, but there was a little bit left on the table from the rushing offense, but very, very impressed with JJ in this Jack Williams after the game in the interview had something to say about that interception too. That was uh, any coach in America would tell their quarterback to throw that one again. The one that went to Ronnie bell just needed to be a little bit out in front of him, but that was the right read and it just got tipped up and and intercepted. That's going to happen. So even that interception, I was like, okay, you know, that was still the right read. You're still trying to get the ball to Ronnie bell. It happens. Yeah, exactly. And you want him to have a little bit of that confidence and you want to keep him moving forward. Like the thing I always go back to with Harbaugh was his first year with uh, dad Rudock and against Utah. Um, Rudock threw three picks in that game and looked awful for large stretches of it. Harbaugh kept him in, kept that confidence high. We need you. We need to rely on you. So I think although they've like smartly had the governor on JJ, just slowly peeling it back, letting him make those throws, letting him fail forward. I think that's the most important thing. I love it. And let's touch on special teams and coaching real quick. Special teams did play a big factor in this one. The the blocked um, field goal, and then we answer with a block of our own. Anything you can do, I can do better. That was outstanding work there. A.J. Henning currently leading the Big Ten in return yards. Didn't have his best day. I maintain what I said weeks ago. This dude's going to take a risk to make something happen. I kind of like it, but I know at some point that is going to turn around and bite us. He's uh, he's aggressive out there, but had a good return in this one. Um, and then, yeah, as far as coaching, well, let's talk on special teams because coaching might need their own little aside. Uh, yeah, on special teams, um, Henning, yeah, I, I'm with you. It's them. Sometimes, you know, the heart races a little bit every time he does something. Gets a little too close to the ball at times. I'm like, just get away from it, please, AJ. Don't screw this up. 
Uh, also, he had a rough day just offensively when he fell down in the end zone on that back post route when he was going to be open for a touchdown. So just a tough day for AJ. Um, kicking, Jake Moody is back to form, although he had that one blocked. like That's not on him. That was a high snap, and it had a little more time for the pass rush to penetrate. And uh, Brad Robbins, though, that's my biggest concern on special teams. He's been very rough the last two weeks. His last punt in this one was his best one um, since the Maryland game. So I'm glad to see hopefully he's getting back to form because we're going to need him against Penn State. Yeah, I'm with you, man, on everything that you said there. I want to touch on A.J. Henning a little bit because with Roman Wilson out, my mind immediately went to A.J. Henning and what we heard and, and saw in the spring game of him being used as this versatile weapon. And I just haven't seen it. We're halfway through the season at this point, and they tried to get him the ball in this game. And like he just hasn't quite figured it out as a receiver yet. And you might be like, well, that's not what he's there for. He's meant to be this weird kind of crazy. This was a four star receiver recruit. And he's kind of just this like offensive weapon, which is awesome to have. So you either need to use him in that capacity, like get him going in motion, use his speed in some way because he is useful or like. I don't know, get Andrew Anthony more involved. I mean, this is kind of a crossover of special teams and offense when I'm talking about here, but just, I just want so much more from AJ Henning, another guy that I had huge, huge stock in and I think can do more. I do as well. I think we'll see more of his potential come to fruition these next couple weeks, utilizing him in more creative ways. Because again, they haven't needed to empty the bag yet. They We've seen the wide back look one time and he missed the hole, but that was against much lesser competition at the beginning of the year. So I think there'll be some more there. But yeah, it's always been kind of a disappointment with him. The hands can go up and down at times, uh, route running as well. So Hope to see a little bit more of A.J. Henning because, man, when he, when he has the ball in his hands, he's as, as electric as anybody in the country. Yeah, man, I'm with you there. Um, did have one more that I want to touch on, but we can save it for our three takeaways. Last point about coaching, 10 penalties for 85 yards was a sloppy game. Was a sloppy game by the officiating crew as well, so I'm not going to take too much into that. We're still on the lower side of penalized teams, so... That'll get itself figured out. But uh, let's take a quick sponsor break. When we come back, we're going to do another three takeaways at the halfway mark. Support for this episode is brought to you by Manscaped. I myself like to keep myself as well manicured as a topiary at Buckingham Palace, but I know there are way too many of my brothers out there who have let your nether regions bloom into some type of unkempt, woolly forest of despair. For the sake of your confidence, for the sake of your comfort, for the sake of decency among men, you need to be giving your private parts the attention they deserve. And that's why Manscaped would like to present the Platinum Package 4.0. With this glorious package, you can align your entire hygiene routine all in one swoop. Inside the 10-part Platinum Package, everything you know and love about Performance Package, plus some shower goodies that will elevate your grooming game. Got the Lawnmower 4.0 Body Trimmer, Weed Whacker Nose, Ear Hair Trimmer, Proprietary Advanced Skin Safe Technology, Protect your delicate parts. Waterproof so you can keep scaping even when the weather's changing. In addition to shaving, you can now completely upgrade your shower routine with the Ultra Premium Body Wash, 2-in-1 Shampoo and Conditioner. Look for me, the best part about the Platinum Package is you start to get into a routine, you start to figure out your preferences, start to figure out how you like the shape, the trim of the bush, you're going to see your confidence rise. And that's what Manscaped Platinum Package can offer for you. Get the Platinum Package this fall. These products are guaranteed to be hits for your dangly bits. Go to manscaped.com and get 20% off and free shipping with the code MNB20. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com when you use the code MNB20. Manscaped, clear out the leaves. It's your tree trunks. Time to shine, boys. 
All right, coming back, sir. We're going to do another three takeaways. We did three takeaways last week, but I feel like after a game like that, and especially when you get to the halfway mark of the season, played a couple Big Ten opponents, it's a good time for another three takeaways. So I'm going to start this one out. My first takeaway from this one feels pretty obvious, but worth mentioning that the defensive line is the cornerstone unit once again of this team, and they will be the ones expected to win the big moments. Uh, I think we looked at this offense as like this shiny new toy and look at all the weapons there, but it's going to take some time to get to the point where you can utilize all those weapons where everything's working in harmony, if it ever even gets there if we even have the the offensive coaches to do that. But what we do have is an elite defensive line, a really good defensive coordinator, a lot of depth. That's the best unit on the team right now, and I don't think it's even particularly close. I think this defensive line is better than last year as a collective because of the strength on the interior. Mozzie Smith is the best defensive tackle we've had since Mo Hurst. Mason Graham is incredible Great. for him. I can never remember a defensive tackle that young coming in and immediately having this kind of impact. So just those two inside and then the triumvirate of star pass rushers of Jalen Harrell, Mike Morris, Yabi Oki, and then just like your supporting characters after that of your Derek Moore's, your Braden McGregor's getting involved. So no, I'm with you. I think it is. And I think they're coming all like coming on and on further and further. And this next week's going to be a big game for them about to like maintain gap discipline, not get too far upfield to let a running quarterback take advantage of you but the way they've progressed man has just been something to watch and I have one question for you in response to that that is this the best freshman uh, best class of freshmen and sophomores playing early in their careers you can ever remember at Michigan on defense the names just to refresh your memory as if you need it Rod Moore Junior Colson Mason Graham Kenneth Grant Derek Moore Will Johnson Jimmy Rolder um, when I first saw your question, I didn't see the freshman sophomore part of it. So my research is incomplete, but nonetheless, I think the answer is going to be yes. Cause you've got so many starters out there and you've got guys that are like important, important starters. Like when you're mentioning the guys on our defense that are important, Rod Moore, junior Colson, Mason Graham are going to be mentioned in the first seven names, you know, or something like that. Extremely important guys. So I was going to mention 2011 where we had Desmond Morgan, Jake Ryan, Blake Countess. So then the year after that would, I guess would be the year when those guys are all playing significant roles and are starting. And then we brought in that next coming year, um, I don't even remember who was in that first recruiting class, but this one's probably going to win. That's a great question. But I mean, Mason Graham, just uh, to kind of follow up on that, you asked, like, when have we seen this? I've only seen it once just in college football, and that's Brian Brise at Clemson, where he came in as a freshman. You're like, wow, look at this defensive tackle. Tough position to come in and be dominant at. So, like, what is this guy's ceiling? Like, it's higher than, as of right now, is his ceiling higher than Mozzie Smith or Mohurst? Yes, absolutely, because it took Mozzie Smith until this year to really become him. Mason Graham is coming into this, and there's a reason Harbaugh called him a gift from the football gods. I'm with you, brother. Uh, first takeaway for you. Uh, first takeaway for me is uh, Jesse Minter's halftime adjustments against IU were my official just stamp of approval on his resume and one of the biggest things he'll use for jobs moving forward. I thought it was just 
masterful from first half to second half. And it was kind of like how Mike McDonald would adjust at times last year. So if you remember Rutgers last year picked apart this defense with bubble screens instead of running the ball, just spot passes over and over again to the boundary, stretching us horizontally, using speed. And it took until the next game for him to correct it. It's a Jesse Minter a half to spot this out and be like, no, we're not doing that anymore. And brought in the right schemes, dialed up the right pressure, some really creative blitzes with uh, Junior Colson, mixed in man and zone coverages. Now, I was blown away with his second half adjustments. My follow-up question for you, six games of Mike McDonald or six games of Jesse Minter? If you can remember back to the halfway mark of McDonald. Uh, I would take six games of Minter because the we had the um, the Rutgers game at home, which really like stuck with me a little bit, like it left the bad taste in my mouth. I mean, granted, there's some harder ones in there, but last year's defense was more bend, don't break. This is the first just like imposing of will I've seen us have in the Big Ten on defense in a while, especially through six games. Can't you remember? <laughs> uh, no, I cannot. That's kind of the point. I've drank way too much alcohol in my life, in my career to remember all these nuances. That's why I keep you around, brother. <laughs> uh, but no, that's outstanding and great defense. I mean, not that Minter needs much of de- a defense for me. I mean, the the claim of the offseason, the one that we spent a lot of time harping on, and I know a lot of fans touched on, was when Harbaugh said, like, we are good on defense. We think that we're better than last year. And you led with, like, a claim that should have been bold, but we didn't even touch on it when you said this, this defensive line is better than last year in its depth. And, I mean, that coupled with Jesse Minter, who does appear to be a great tactician, which on all of Harbaugh's defensive coordinators have been great second-half coaches, minus Don Brown against Ohio State. So, I mean, that's that's been a bit of a staple. So, absolutely great point there, man. Uh, my next point's the contentious one. This is the one that we haven't really been arguing about, but, man, you, like, sent me down a rabbit hole and you were sending me motion stats. But my next takeaway is that the Michigan offense is not creative enough, as is right now, to weather the loss of key playmakers. I feel like I need to explain that a little bit because obviously we're undefeated. We're 6-0. We've nearly covered the spread or come close to covering the spread in every game except Maryland, which was uh, you know weird when they scored with a couple seconds left and we were mostly in control for the whole game. But things have been a little bit stagnant at times. And Joel Klatt, who I really do respect, has said a lot of the same things that I've been saying. And then I'll go back and watch the broadcast. And he's saying them as I'm saying them. I'm like, am I out of my mind? Or are these linebackers really crashing down every time we motion? Because that's obviously a run. We're not running anything. Any like motion that we have is leading to a run. And if I'm diagnosing it, they're diagnosing it. And sure enough, their linebackers were coming downhill in a hurry in this game and it concerns me against Penn State like who Manny Diaz loves to get his linebackers flowing downhill not necessarily blitzing but playing downhill and you know the way they stifled our run in the second half and the way that we have yet since the early games when we were playing the nobodies out there the culinary school of the blind we still haven't seen like a deep pass to open things up so my concern remains you did talk me out of a lot of it in like what you showed me about tendencies and stuff. I don't want to go too far down a rabbit hole, but this is an interesting talking point. We're going to find out everything we need to know about it this week. Absolutely. No, you are right. Like there's definitely certain things you need to keep in mind. And the linebackers crashing was an issue early on last year. 
And because when Michigan shifts somebody in on either side, they're trying to get the man advantage. That's the biggest thing. And just like we have six men here, you have five. So we should be able to run the ball. But the way the linebackers are coming downhill so fast, it's really hard to like pick them or hit them, move them off the mark, whether you're running zone or gap scheme. So no, that has been an issue. And you and I were talking offline. We really were starting to believe that a lot of the runs in the second half last week are to set up some things this week. Like there was such obvious opportunities for play action against IU in the second half. And I guarantee their thought process was we're up 14. And then the running started to pick up in the fourth quarter as they wore down the opponent, very similar to last year. And I have one question for you regarding the offense. Do we overvalue the wide receiver position in the offseason? Because the more I watch our passing attack, the more concerned I am about the separation they create and the less concerned I am about J.J. throwing the ball. You hit on like my other part of this that I didn't even mention was uh, my first point was the key loss of playmakers or loss of key playmakers. And that is exactly the point that I wanted to get to. Is Roman just far and away better than these guys? Like we love their potential. Is Ronnie Bell like we'd never really seen him be the Ronnie Bell we thought he was against a great opponent. He had that like elite showing against Western Michigan. And then he got injured immediately before that against like Penn state and stuff. He was like reliable slot guy. And then we expected him to come in and be star receiver guy. I don't know if he is a star number one. And as soon as Roman went down, I'm like, Ooh, is he miscast as like the absolute number one guy had a lot of receptions, but he's more like an Amon Ra St. Brown on the lions where it's like, is he naturally a number two? And then you lose Eric all and Schoonmaker has been awesome. I love Schoonmaker, but not the level of playmaker. We haven't gotten the ball to Edwards too as well. So it's like, it seems like you look at this on paper and you're like, this is the most explosive offense we've ever had. And your question of, is it as good as we thought is fair in particular with the wide receivers? Is it just Roman Wilson and some guys like is CJ better than Amara Darbo? Um, do we need to get Andrew Anthony involved more? I'm going to lean yes on that one, but that's a great question, man. I was thinking it after the last game too. Yeah, I feel like um, Andrew Anthony is getting more involved slowly, and I think his role could definitely have an uptick the more we need to pass the ball. But no, I'm with you there on Ronnie because he was a very solid number two on the 2019 team. I believe he was either led in yards or led in catches, and Nico Collins was the other because Ronnie had that crazy nine-catch, 150-yard game against Michigan State that year. We blew him out 44-10. to So, But he was thriving because of the attention that was on the other side of the ball. Now that he's the primary focus, he's struggling to get open, really struggling to get separation and see coverages as well. If you go back to the Iowa game, he was frustrated when the ball didn't come his way, when J.J. made the right play, reading the correct coverage, and threw it back shoulder and away. So I am concerned. I think it's also been exacerbated by the loss of Eric All, and they're still overcoming that and working into it. And Darius Clemens isn't quite there as a run blocker. So there's a lot of question marks surrounding it. I think we did overvalue it early on, but the value might appropriate by the end of the season. I'm with you, man. All right, your takeaway. That one, uh, we went in deep on that one, but I thought we might. (laughs) You know, we can nerd out sometimes. We can do it with the best of them with a beverage in hand, of course. Uh, My second... Second takeaway was uh, the 98-yard drive in a tie game on the road will be one of the cornerstone moments for this offense. Like Very similar to last year when you had these moments early on to build upon, like at Nebraska, like trailing in the second half. By the way, this team still has not trailed in the second half through the first six games, which is nuts. 
Um, but this is just a cornerstone moment to lean upon when the offense questions if they can do something or if they can move the ball. This is a great chance because you're backed up third and long. You just had a drop. There is no momentum on your side. And then you connect to Ronnie Bell. You connect to Andrew. You get the run game going again. And you drive down and you take the lead. Like you reestablish the lead. You break the tie. That was just so impressive to me, man. 98 yards on the road like that for a quarterback in his second road start was just very, very impressive. And I think it's something this team can build upon for momentum in the future. You're 100% right. I mean, we always rewatch the games in the offseason, and there'll be little moments like the Brad Hawkins strip against Nebraska where you're like, man, that was a season-defining thing. I don't know if this one will be as high because we had this thing in hand, and I mean, it was still close at the time, but we ended up almost covering the spread, winning by 20. 21, but it's a great point. Like without that drive, where are we punting from down there? What does that mean? Like, are we able to get things going? So it, it, it is a great sliding doors moment. Uh, my last takeaway, the JJ sample size is now large enough. You should feel confident letting him explore the studio space a little more. This goes into a little bit of what we were saying earlier. Um, but like, once again, don't want to nerd out too much, but like the using of motion when like it's a pass play and you're using motion to get your receiver separation complicates things for the passer. And that was something that you sent to me. And that makes a lot of sense, but at the same time, he can do a lot more. And I think this is the week to open it up even more so than we saw against Indiana. Like you should be confident. He's still leading the nation in completion percentage. I know that was you landed the plane perfectly on that one. And you and I were talking offline about not removing the blinders completely, but it's time to start peeling them down. And I think the more like chances he's gotten to study film, see it live, understand more concepts. I think we'll see more of those in there. So he can identify if it's man to man zone coverage where this guy's moving. So I think it's going to make life a little bit easier on him because you're right. Like he, he has the plate. He's got a little bit on there. He's got a side. He's got a little bit of this side. Now he's ready for the main course. Like we can put more on him and I think he'll excel. I really do because his decision-making has really impressed me the last few weeks. And this is the first game he didn't put one on the ground. And that was one of our key points we talked about before the game. I love that you and I just have analogies that'll come out of nowhere. Just like, yeah, this will be a boxing analogy. This one's going to be a Thanksgiving plate analogy. And it's just like, oh yeah, he's basically like Michael Keaton pre-Batman. All he needs is to be cast as Batman and then it's taken off for him. Like, great analogy. Great analogy. I'm with you, sir. I had one, uh, I had one I didn't even use for DJ Turner. I said, an interception's like watching a movie on HBO. I said, an incompletion's kind of like watching it on cable. But if you allow a completion, it's like staring at a blank wall. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely love it. And relatable, sir. All right, your last takeaway. Let's take a break after that. All right, last takeaway from the game is uh, overcoming uh, the Mike Hart uh, seizure in the first half will be the hardest thing this team overcomes all season because there's nothing you can do to prepare for it. There's nothing in the scouting department about that. And I really, I really believe that will be the most – nothing in a game will be as hard as that because that's real life. And I hate when people say some things are more important than football because most things are more important than football, and that being one of them. And I think when he comes back to this team, he's already eager to return back in Ann Arbor. I think it's going to galvanize this team and really just give them a motivation and a purpose moving forward. And I can't express enough how impressed I was with this team in the second half, focusing on the game at hand and really winning it for Coach Hart. 
Yeah, man, you can get upset about uh, the, the the AP voters that didn't watch this game and put us back to five after Clemson struggled with BC and that game wasn't as close as the score indicated. But what's the point? Like, I mean, they didn't watch it. We know what happened and we know how difficult that must have been. Our, like two of our most important players were literally in tears in the first quarter. Literally, the camera showed them and they were both crying. And of course, like you don't know if this guy that's as close to you as, you know, I don't know if it's a father figure, a brother figure is probably more accurate, is going to survive. So I'm with you, man. Like that clearly, like it was hard to even worry about the game. And like when I was breaking down the film, it's like I kind of felt like an ass even breaking down the film when that was so much more important. So weathering that storm is a huge, huge character moment really hope he's able to come back to this team. And in the fact that that happened at Indiana, you know, he had that game circled. He's been there and it's not like a lot of animosity kind of thing. It's more like, I think he was probably excited to go back there. Like I think he left in good standing. So it was just a bad situation all around, man. Yeah. One thing I'll say about Tom Allen and his staff, it was great showing by them to come over in the moment and check on him as he was being carted off. Um, Great job by James Franklin, PJ Fleck, a lot of coaches offering their sympathies and support. And uh, one thing it's, I thought about it in relation to the game, which again felt so silly when uh, Michigan's running became stale and was kind of stifled. Maybe it's because their run game coordinator wasn't on the sidelines anymore. Right. Right. So even when I'm like, man, uh, this run game really got stale and I'm criticizing it. I'm like, that doesn't feel fair. You know, they're literally missing. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, it's, it, it is difficult to take too much away. It, it really is. I mean, the, the run game didn't look great in the second half, but who could blame them? So great point, sir. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll look around the league a little bit, but we want to allow time to talk about this Penn State matchup. This is the most important matchup of the year, and uh, it's a three game season want to express my thoughts on that and explain my position right after this. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors in life, whether they be big, small, or anywhere in between. And when we keep those bottled up, it can start to affect us in a negative way. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a licensed therapist, and if for some reason that therapist isn't working out for you, you can switch at any time for no additional charge. Get life's challenges off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Block M to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Block M. All right, coming back, part two, looking around the Big Ten a little bit, and Ohio State absolutely demolished Michigan State. We're trying to go to that game, watching these tickets. They still haven't fallen yet. I don't know what they're expecting. Um, I mean, the, the fact that these tickets are still $300, it infuriates me, but nothing too exciting about that, and the Big Ten, man, is just officially down this year. It's not just the West. It's just three ranked teams currently hard to find much of a pulse and uh, Ohio state might cruise. Yeah. It, it 
all signs are pointing to them entering the game 11-0. I mean, granted, they still have a, f- a few tests along the way. I say a few. Like, if Maryland, I mean, they've given them problems in the past. I believe it was 2018. Kind of gave them some issues, but that's a lifetime ago. And they have to go to Happy Valley. So that could be one little trip up. But besides that, man, it looks like smooth sailing until Columbus in late November. Yep. And currently, Illinois, after defeating Iowa six to nine in the most disgusting and yet the most fascinating score I've ever heard in my entire life, sit atop the Big Ten West. So just a strange, strange year in general uh you had wisconsin getting a win over northwestern 42 to 7 starting off the jim leonard era a game that i was keeping an eye on though because we've um you know both of the games that we struggled with and penn state struggled with purdue versus maryland was one that i had my eye on purdue wins this one 31 29 i was kind of pulling for maryland but these are two very similar opponents and i wanted to touch on this one a little bit because of the preview we have coming up here in a minute and just keeping an eye on on how these two do in in continued Big Ten play. Yeah, it's funny how Maryland has finally emerged as that team that's like the the frisky Purdue of the East. But um, before I go too far into that, how dare you? How dare you bury the lead here? Brett Bielema, the rib god, is ranked at twenty four this week. I mean, that is the absolute lead. The the man that knows his way around a rack of ribs like Legolos knows his way around a bow and arrow. This man is familiar with meats and got his team ranked right now. I mean, this probably isn't going to last too long. I have to imagine that a bigger team's going to come calling, but good for him. I mean, in a year where everyone else is down, someone had to to grab a hold of this thing and they're somehow the team to beat. Doesn't reflect well in the Big Ten because Illinois is just not a program that should be that good. But good for our boy. Good for our boy. I mean, so long as he doesn't have cardiovascular trouble sometime in the next three to six months based on his diet, that guy's going places. <laughs> it's very impressive to see because last year he won in Happy Valley in that wacky nine overtime game. He has the defense playing well, uh, really well in Champaign. So, no, it, it's nice to see at least some team is trying to rise up and be a contender. But, um, no, the Maryland-Purdue game also fascinated me because you had two teams – both just slinging the ball around the yard. Neither one could establish their running game at all in this. And, I mean, Purdue only rushed for like 13 yards. So it was a very just like aerial attack game that only only amounted in barely over 50 points or almost 60, 60 points. I can do math. And so, no, it, it's fun to look at this and try to project it forward because obviously Maryland was a common opponent with Michigan and Purdue was a common opponent with Penn State. And we just don't have a lot to go on this year because of what our outer conference was. Penn State beat Auburn, but you and I have, uh, let's say, low opinions of Auburn. So just trying to dig out any sort of, you know, common ground that we have with these opponents. Uh, Looking around college football in general, this is a huge weekend. Not to rub it in for you because I know you're going to be doing nuptials at a bar where you don't even uh, get free drinks and it's a cash bar. Thanks, man. uh, yeah. <laughs> Nonetheless, this is a huge weekend. So, I mean, keep an eye on Alabama at Tennessee at 330. That's a big one. You got USC, Utah. So just for Michigan rooting interest, this is a big, big weekend to some teams that could be on upset alert. I think you and I both like Tennessee over Alabama. Yes, we're both pulling for them as well to upset upset the establishment in the SEC. Love to see USC go down. Utah looked rough last week against UCLA, so I guarantee Kyle Whittingham will have that team fired up. And yeah, man, this is the best weekend of college football so far this season, so I'm glad you get to enjoy it. 
I will enjoy it. I'll enjoy it for the both of us. I'll drink thrice as many beers because I know you're a man that uh, simply drinking one share of beer is not enough. But uh, yeah, the other game too, Clemson, Florida State. I know Florida State's not going to impress anybody, but Clemson, you know, for all the hate Michigan got and the fact that Michigan dropped one this week, Clemson has looked beatable as well. So I've got my eye on that game. There's only so many more opportunities for one of these teams ahead of us to trip up. And if not, we're running into that danger scenario of being 11-1 with our only loss to Ohio State and still not getting in. So all of this bears watching. If uh, you can watch this weekend, you should. If uh, for some reason you have bad friends, I'm sorry. <laughs> Again. Thank you so much. <laughs> and uh, leading into uh, the, the Michigan-Penn State game, I did a little research here just because I was curious because both teams kind of find themselves in interesting parts of their schedule with Michigan heading into a bye week and Penn State fresh off of a bye week. And this will be the fourth time in the James Franklin era that they've played Michigan after a bye week, which is just weird. Uh, Penn State after a bye under James Franklin is 3-5. and five. Uh, under uh, Jim Harbaugh, Michigan is six and one before a bye, with their only loss being the trouble with the snap game in 2015. I love you were just sending me this stuff. It was like midnight, and you're like, "Wait till you hear this this uh, James Franklin before the bye week stat. You're gonna lose your mind." I'm like, <laughs> "Sir, I have to work tomorrow, but I absolutely love it. You've just been grinding, and these are all great. Like, I love that you've been looking for tendencies this year and patterns." And these things do matter. I mean, these patterns are something that uh, Las Vegas takes into account when they're making the spread. And this thing came out as a 10-point spread. So the fact that Michigan has traditionally been dominant against Penn State at home in the past and Harbaugh has traditionally been dominant before a bye, whereas Franklin after a bye, these things all do matter. They all do matter. So this game will be at noon on Fox again. I swear to God, if I have to watch another Fox broadcast, <laughs> I'm so glad that I'm in the stands on this one. Because if I have to watch Urban Meyer talk about mission again, what's this guy just following us around, getting the scoop? I'm so sick of it. I absolutely believe in the conspiracy theories. If I see Urban Meyer one more time, I'm going to lose my mind. Uh, I know this is an aside I and we've already talked about it, but I'm furious. Honestly, no one should have to look at Urban Meyer that much. I feel bad for Charles Woodson and Reggie Bush. The only people that should have to see Urban Meyer this much are the prison guards that are watching him day to day. Like, I'm so sick of this thing. Like, the man should maybe get 30 minutes in the yard a day, and I have to see him for an entire four-hour broadcast. But let's move on. This is a noon game. This is the maze out. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be in all maze. I expect everyone listening to do so. Weird that it's not at night, but I'm okay with it because this is the biggest test by far, you've got undefeated. You've got five versus 10 here. Top 10 matchup. Uh, do we know where game day's going yet? It's got to be either us or Tennessee, right? They're going to Tennessee. Yeah, that makes sense because they just don't go there that often. All right, that's fine. We don't need it. We don't need the extra attention. But there's just so many storylines going in this one, man. So I'm going to let you do it. You've done the legwork on this. Let's, let's start with the storylines of this game. So a couple to keep an eye on on this one. I have it as three revenge game storylines for the Wolverines, despite having one in Happy Valley last year. Uh, firstly, it's the Ronnie Bell 2019 drop revenge game. If you can remember back that far, I know there was a pandemic involved and our memories aren't what they used to be. Haven't sharpened in the interim. Uh, Michigan came back in, in this game. They were down early. I believe it was around like 17 to 7, 17 to nothing, something like that. And Michigan comes back. Zach Charbonnet scores right before halftime to get us on the board. And Harbaugh comes out and says it's going to be Michigan's finest hour. And it's like, 
This is a whiteout in Happy Valley. This is a kind of an average-looking Michigan team, and they almost complete the comeback. Ronnie Bell drops the game-tying touchdown in the end zone as time expires. It was heartbreaking. It was a devastating moment for Ronnie. Feels like forever ago. So that's one storyline to focus on. Look for a big game from him. Next one, Blake Corum didn't play against Penn State last year due to an injury. He played against them in 2020, had a few carries, but it wasn't the team that we had last year. You saw what he did to Maryland in the first game, <laughs> the first team he hadn't played against from last season. Just destroyed them for 243. So watch out for him in this one. And Ryan Hayes, who's playing at an all Big Ten level, first team all Big Ten level this year at left tackle, had his worst career game as a starter last year against Penn State. Gave up two terrible sacks. One of them almost cost Michigan the game. It was the strip sack on Cade late, which gave them the lead. So look for him to really bounce back and set the tone early in this one. I love that great dive on the player storylines here from a Penn State perspective, Sean Clifford coming back, who's been there seemingly since Granada, and he's got a bit of a history with Michigan as well. So that's something to keep an eye on. What is is he two and two as a starter? Did he start in 18? I know he started in 19, 20 and 21. So, yeah, you might be right. This might be his fourth year as a starter. He's been with the program for five years, so you're correct. Yeah, so he would be one and two. The two and, two and uh, one. Two, two and yeah, one. Two, yeah, two, two and one. one. Because we're still counting that stupid COVID year. <laughs> still counting that. And again, as all things do with Sean Clifford, expect this game to be amazing plays with his legs, horrendous plays with the ball. He's very prone to overthrows. He's probably going to get hurt. He's probably going to come back from getting hurt and he's going to make this game nervous in the fourth quarter because that's what Sean Clifford does, especially for a player that's seen as much football as he has. Yeah, super annoying player. Let's go special teams first. We'll work our way to the offense. We'll get through that. Let's talk a little bit about what this special teams battle would look like here because I do think it's going to be important. This is a very good red zone team. Um, they have one of the best red zone completion percentage. I mean, they're getting touchdowns instead of field goals as well. So turning those touchdowns into field goals, keeping their tight end Graham, whatever his name is out of the end zone is going to be key. So I've got a keen eye on special teams because also this could get a little Iowa esque in the field position battle part of it. Yeah. And Penn state punter Barney Amore great name for a punter, right. has landed 61% of his punts inside the 20 and 52% of his punts inside the 10. Both are leading the FBS. And this is all the more concerning when you consider how Brad Robbins has been very shaky his last few outings. Yeah, Brad Robbins not having his best year, having his best facial hair and just overall look year. I mean, he's looking great. Tremendous. I mean, definitely ready to buy a railroad somewhere in, in a, a land track in Utah. But as far as his punting, it's taken a step back. So watch special teams in this one. Not the time for A.J. Henning to be overly aggressive in this one. I think just good field position win the field position battle in this one. So don't get overly aggressive. And then that being said, I'm going to completely contradict that because I don't see this as some like 45 to 40 game. If you can get one on special teams, hang on now, hang on now. So it definitely bears watching. It does bear watching, and it's the fine line between ball security and game breaker. And I think Henning has done a great job thus far of balancing that, but this is one where you give one away and it becomes very tough because last year you remember they got a uh, Penn State got a little screwy with their special teams where they were about to fake a punt. Michigan called a timeout to prepare for it. 
they faked it, and they still converted. But then they gave one back to us when they were in the red zone deep, had a 20-yard field goal, and they faked it, and we obviously made the tackle on the kicker and actually forced a fumble on the play. So there will be some screwy things in special teams that swing this game. Yeah, they got weird with it last year. And yeah, sometimes to their benefit and other times to their detriment. You and I just both rewatched that one as well. So yeah, keep an eye on the trickery, the chicanery in that as well. Let's move over to the defense uh, where this is where they've improved the most. They brought in Manny Diaz, who was over at Miami. He's come in after he has a pretty good track record. He's got him in the top 15 in a ton of categories. This is a top five rush defense. They've only allowed one team, and that was Auburn, to break 100 team rushing yards. So that is the first thing that jumps off the page is this is a team that can stop the run. But you and I haven't been overly impressed with the rushing attacks that they've they've faced thus far. But their top 20 and third down conversion percentage, um, they have 11 takeaways in their last three games. It's the most in such a stretch since 1996 for them. So they're opportunistic. They can stop the run. They have Joey Porter, who I think is a star at cornerback. This is not a defense you can take lightly. No, and this is this is very interesting with Manny Diaz. You know, everyone knows he's the former head coach at Miami, came to Penn State this year. It's his first year as a coordinator there. And it's a funny thing, too, because it kind of parallels Ohio State's situation with their defensive coordinator bringing in a new guy for a new system. And in an article with the Philadelphia Inquirer I read this past week, because that's what I do at midnight, uh, he, uh, his philosophy is he wants to create third and longs because third and longs are the most prone down to turnovers. So I said they're 13th in the country in turnovers, forcing turnovers almost 28% of opponent possessions, which is crazy high. Really? And the one number I really want to watch for is J.J., the most accurate passer, going against a defense that's holding opponents to a 49.6 completion percentage. I think that battle will be fascinating, especially if the Nittany Lions are able to stifle the run like they have so far this season. Great points in there. One thing to keep in mind, though, with some of these takeaway numbers, they just played Northwestern in a monsoon where they themselves had five giveaways, and I think Northwestern had six. I could be off on those numbers, but these numbers are skewed, just like some of our numbers are skewed for some of our stats because, A, we haven't played anybody. B, it's only six games, and three of them were against nobodies. So you've got to kind of take that into account as well. They do force a lot of turnovers, but so many of them came in one game. They are super opportunistic. Uh, Your point about Manny Diaz, I was also similarly going down a rabbit hole trying to figure out what to expect. And there is a lot of that, what you saw against Indiana, which makes that a great matchup for us right before Penn State, because they do, they don't want to blitz a lot out of their base package. He's pretty much known for his blitz packages. He can get very creative with them, but he doesn't want to blitz out of his base package, but he wants to get his linebackers focused on moving downhill, getting into the gaps and playing aggressive. So they are going to be attacking downhill, which it does sound like could be a dangerous matchup for our offense, but I think you and I are a little bit more high on the play action that we haven't seen and what, like maybe this has all been baiting that it's possible. If it is man, kudos, kudos to Sharon Moore and Matt Weiss, um, because the, this is going to be a fairly aggressive defense, if not a crazy blitzing defense. Yeah, I think they're going to want, like you said, they're going to want to put the pressure on McCarthy, make him win this. And with all the talent they have, there's four and five stars across the board. They're going to stifle the run with minimal guys because they're able to. And they want to bring pressure and really force J.J. into those mistakes. So keeping his composure, which has been a strength this season, will be one of the key things. But although I do think like 
at certain spots on their defense, they're better. I think their pass rushers are a little bit worse from last season, especially on the edge. And when you and I were rewatching games this week, I texted you. I was like, can you believe it took until the 1234 mark of the second quarter last year for us to get our first first down? It was unbelievable. Yeah, you kind of forget about that, how stagnant things were. I think that we are both better teams than we were at this point last year. Obviously, we learned some things from that Penn State game and really improved from that. Upon rewatching it, you're absolutely right, though. The first half, we could not get anything going. And I do think their defense has improved. I think you said you thought they stayed the same or got worse. I think they're a little better, but I have a lot of belief in Joey Porter Jr. as a lockdown corner. Some of it comes to that. So getting Roman Wilson back in this, if nothing else, to occupy him so that the other guys can work against their number two and number three corners is going to help immensely. That is a really, really good corner. Like, I want the Lions to take Joey Porter Jr. I think he's a stud. So finding ways to attack them early. They are concerned. I was reading some of their blogs. They're concerned about Blake Corum. They're concerned about their ability to stop the run. So that should be something that we're thinking about as well. This is probably as much as you and I want a 12-carry game for Corum. This is probably a 28-30-carry game for Corum because it's probably the best way to attack him. It really is, and I think that's the biggest place Michigan has an advantage is this one, is the our offensive line versus their defensive line. And we'll get into certain matchup numbers later, but one I have keyed in on is the best rushing offense that Penn State has faced this year is Auburn, who's ranked 75th in the country, You know, back there behind Buffalo, UNLV, and Memphis. So this is going to be a big step up for them, what they're going to do to handle the bodies and how much they're going to have to sell out or bring a safety down or get creative if their minimal guys can't stop the rush. So that's going to be one of the biggest matchups. And you know Quorum's hungry for this one, especially coming off last week's performance with everything with Mike Hart. He and Edwards will be looking for a big game. And it is nice going into this matchup. Would you say that you say Blake Corum is the most impactful skill player on either side of the ball in this game from both teams? Yes. Yes, I would say that, and I would feel pretty comfortable saying that. Wouldn't you? Oh, absolutely. Come on, man. But I want to ask you here, since you're kind of my 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 the yang to my yin sometimes, and I need reeled in. Sure. I guess I'm the resident pessimist, but that's absolutely correct. And uh, one more thing that I wanted to touch on with the defense there is that they look at some of those stats that you were mentioning about who they have played, their rushing attacks that they've played. I can tell you right now, they're looking at the passing attacks that we have played and they're looking at our passing efficiency and saying, so what? Because it's it's similar on that side of it where they like they haven't faced a good rushing offense and we haven't faced a good passing defense yet, except for Iowa. And in that game, pretty pedestrian numbers. So that's what they're looking at right there. So this is such a game of like something's got to break. You look at the the statistical comparisons and it's tight. So something's got to break. It's what do you believe more? Like, what do you believe in more? What is Michigan versus Iowa or you know, what Penn State did against Auburn. It's fascinating, man. Uh, anything else on the defense before we move to the offense? Uh, Penn State's passing defense is number five in the country, just saying not 74, but keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I know. <laughs> they're, they're top 15 in most of the major categories. Yeah, they're, they're really good, at least up to this point. Uh, moving over to their offense, the one thing that we were talking about in the offseason pod is we did not trust their offensive line. until And we're like, until they get that, there's no way that they can beat us. They have improved. They're allowing about one and a half sacks per game, which is just below what we're averaging. We've played one more game than them. 
Um, and they've improved from years past, definitely in their pass protection. And their their run blocking appears a little bit improved as well. Nick Singleton's running the ball well. Um, he's averaging 7.3 yards per carry, which is worth watching. But against conference appointment opponents, that number goes down to 3.8 yards per carry. So when it's stiffened, he hasn't been as good. And then the Auburn game, you know, like I said, you and I are just not believers in that. Their coach is already out the door. So what they do very well is get the ball to their tight ends, use their running backs to stay ahead of the chains, and they're very, very good in the red zone. One of the best red zone teams in the nation. Yeah, and strange their tight end is a stud and somebody that has to be keyed in on. And even although I think their offensive line numbers are a little inflated, as some of Michigan's numbers are, I with Sean Clifford, he can alleviate a lot of those worries because he's so mobile, because he's just seen so much football, he can escape the pocket and cause some problems. So although I think Michigan's defensive line will have some success, I think this is the second best offensive line we've seen all year behind Maryland's. And I think they're going to cause us some issues there because if these pass rushers are not disciplined in their lanes, they get too far upfield. Clifford could gash us for 20, 25 yards a carry if he wanted to because that's the kind of offense they run and he's a smart enough quarterback to recognize that quickly and then attack it. Yeah, he is pro football focus. His highest rated red zone quarterback means nothing, but he's got a 92.9% completion rate. That's not per pro football focus. Those are just the numbers. 13 of 14 and seven touchdowns in the red zone. And I think the most apt comparison for Sean Clifford is Shea Patterson with a, a, a little bit of a hitch in his step. Like if Shea Patterson just had a little bit less of the speed, that's pretty much what you have with Sean Clifford. He's a quality quarterback. We faced him a ton. He's played a ton of football. So his ability to escape the initial rush is going to be huge, 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 huge. Now they have some weaknesses on the inside of their line. I'm assuming if you you know watch football at all and you're not huffing paint, you're probably going to double team Mozzie Smith and then you know force the, the rushers to come from the outside. That's still the right way to attack it. This guy can get away from the initial rush. Hutch did a pretty good job of that because of his motor, but you've got to stay with this guy. He can escape your initial rush. He's sneaky athletic. Yeah, he is very much sneaky athletic. We learned that the hard way in 2019 when we were at Penn State. He just kept breaking the runs and just kept evading the rush and being smart. 2020 will throw it out the window, but 2021 last year, he did such a, they did such a good job of just collapsing the pocket slowly around him. The pass rushers inside, even last year, Chris Hinton alongside Mozzie Smith had a good game. So I think they'll be able to have some success here, but uh, it's the Mike Urich offense. We're all too familiar with him. He was at Ohio state in 19 and was at Penn state last year. And he's back this year. Um, it's going to be a lot of, linebacker matchup hunting, some crossers, some running back routes. So he's really going to try to test those weaknesses and try to exploit it when you're flip-flopping between zone and man. Um, but besides that, their offense is a lot of deep drops, which I don't know if we'll see too much this week because it just fold, like, folds right into our hand. And there's going to be some cool play design. I mean, he and Franklin together both draw up some really great plays. There's going to be some creative wrinkles in there. And Michigan just is going to get caught because when they break tendencies like that, they're smart enough to figure out ways to get the ball at right times. So I think really just 
mitigating those early on, not letting the crossing routes go from 12 yards to 25 is going to be one of the biggest matchups early on and the first half chess matchup. These are the changes we brought in. These are the ones we brought in. And then seeing how that evolves over the course of the game is going to be the biggest thing to watch in this matchup. Man, I loved what you were saying as much as I hated it because the way that they're going to attack us is exactly how I would imagine they would attack us, and it's kind of what their offense wants to do anyway. So if you're just looking at it, you might be like, ooh, tough tough matchup for the Michigan defense. But this Michigan defense is improving. I don't know where their offense is going. Their completion percentage as well as their rush yards per game has actually kind of gone down recently. So it's hard to pick out like which direction they're heading. The uh, Catron Allen, Nick Singleton duo is rushing the ball. Well, 153 yards per game, but you know, a lot of it's propped up by a couple big performances against Northwestern. It didn't look as good. So it's, you know, what can we do against their defense? It doesn't look good for them to try to run this into the heart of our defense. You know, the fact that we have Mozzie Smith and that our defensive line is something that's emerging and something that we believe in makes me think that we'll be okay against the run. But then there's those chinks in the armor that we were kind of talking about in the first half. And it really comes down to the linebackers. And I have to imagine they're going to work the hell out of our linebackers. I mean, if I were them, that's exactly what I would be attacking. And how quickly can we get out there? If you watch this game from last year, uh, Josh Ross was huge, huge in that game, and at least forcing Sean Clifford out into shorter gains. Can Junior Colson and Michael Barrett do that? Limit those gains to six-yard gains instead of 13-yard gains when Sean Clifford breaks contain. Or uh, This is a bit of an aside, but are you ever a fan of using a spy on defense? Uh, yeah, I am a fan of doing it. I think Alabama did a really had a really cool use of a spy. I think it was Alabama. I saw this uh, recently where they brought him like towards the line and had them almost look like a blitzer, and he was like hiding behind a pass rush coverage. So when the quarterback evaded to go to the outside, bam, the linebacker was right there in his face. So I think with Jesse Minter's propensity to use zone coverage against teams that are you know equal playing field I think you'll see some spy usage here whether we recognize it or not he does a lot with defensive ends and flats so that'll be something to keep an eye on but I really don't think Michigan's gonna run too much man-to-man with how much crossers and man beaters Yurik has at his disposal we didn't see it last year at least yeah, and they don't have like a Jahan Dotson, Allen Robinson type this year. They have some pretty good wide receivers, but there's nobody that's like, oh boy, like somebody needs to account for him. So that does give me a little bit of confidence. Their biggest weapon is by far Nicholas Singleton. Their second biggest weapon is their tight end. So I would much rather go against a freshman running back and a tight end than go against an elite burner like Jahan Dotson. So there's that. Really the guy that, and I won't say I'm scared of him because we've seen him so many times, but it's Sean Clifford's intelligence is kind of the one thing that I'm like, hey, young-ish defense, you know, some returning parts, some newish parts. What are we able to do when he breaks contain? It's just kind of the, the thing that I'm most closely glued to in this game. That and um, Parker Washington is still there at receiver. It feels like he's been there for a decade. He, I believe, was their leader in yards last year, covered up Jahan Dotson. And thank God this isn't the 2019 Penn State uh, skill unit where they had Pat Fryermuth, KJ Hamler, and Jahan Dotson on the outside to worry right. about. So it's not that. 
But uh, I think I'm with you. I think the biggest thing for me, if the concern wise, is Sean Clifford, what he can do with his legs. And I think it will be in Michigan's best interest to do what they always do against him and hit him as much as they can to force errant throws because he is prone to them and get some takeaways of their own in the game. I've never seen a Big Ten quarterback in like the, all the years that I've been watching that's taken more violent hits than He's Sean so Clifford. tough. He's so tough and he keeps coming back. And I'm like, well, that guy's either um, in a full body cast or out for the year. And then he comes back in and makes the next play and then he'll finish the game. So like, let it not be said that, you know, he's not a tough guy. So I I definitely have his back there, but all right. So let's kind of talk through this game. Let's do it from Michigan's perspective. Naturally. How would you attack this Penn, Penn state team? I think you lean into your tendencies and then you break them. I think you start out running the football, really testing them, see how they're going to handle it, how they're going to adjust. They haven't seen a passing, a, a rushing attack like this yet. Use the momentum of the environment. It's a maze out. It's the biggest game of your schedule up until this point. It's your biggest home game with your toughest opponent on the schedule this season. Penn State with James Franklin has struggled historically coming to Michigan Stadium with fans in the stands. Michigan beat them 49 to 10 the year they went to the Rose Bowl. Michigan beat them 42 to 7 in 2018, the last time they came there with fans in the stands. So use all that to your advantage. Spook them, run them out early. And then once they overcommit to the running game, you play action it with McCarthy. You get him on the run. So he has the, the dual option of either running it himself. He's been a much smarter runner. Although besides that one hit he took late against Indiana, God be with our son and let him get the ball to these receivers in space, moving with some help of deception to ease the burden on them to separate from these corners. I don't really have many notes from that. I wanted to have some like new authentic game plan for how I would attack them. But the first thing that you said was exactly what was on my mind. Use your tendencies until you don't, because our tendencies have now been pretty much photographed. Everyone knows what we're trying to do. I'm calling out the plays saying, yeah, this is definitely a run. So if you can use that against them, that is a master class in play calling. If you were literally down against or tied against Indiana and you're like, no, no, Penn State next week, let's run into a wall for Penn State. Like, I mean, that is that is a master class. But either way, even if you weren't trying to do that, use those tendencies that people are starting to key on key in on and use that against them get them flowing in a different direction. And I also like what you were saying about early on, keep doing what you have been doing, run your offense and then open the playbook up, whether that's, you know, first half or second half or however the the game is going. But when the time comes, be willing to open up the playbook. Let's get Donovan Edwards heavily involved in this, especially out of the backfield as a receiver. That's something that's so hard to defend for any team, any team. I like their linebackers. I like their cornerbacks. Covering Donovan Edwards is going to be a problem. We know about the consistency between the J.J. McCarthy schoonmaker connection. That looks really good. Uh, Let's start to open it up for some of these other guys. Let's get some guys in motion. Let's get A.J. Henning moving around. Like, Give them some different things to look at. If you can get out to a lead against this team and then play where they're the ones having to pass to come back and win, I do really like our chances because I don't think their offensive lines improved that much. 
Michigan is built to play with a lead and to milk the clock with their running game. Like even if at times you're running into a wall, like you can adopt the philosophy you had last season where it's we're going to wear them down gradually. And you even saw that against Indiana when at times the play action was wide open. They still kept running it. It was starting to pay dividends late in the fourth quarter, <clears throat> excuse me, when they were milking the clock and salting this one away. And when teams just have to open up the pass against Michigan, it is a, just a recipe for disaster with these pass rushers. Like if a Yabi Yoki can just pin his ears back and be like, all right, he's going to drop back. I'm going to go get him. That is a nightmare scenario. And I honestly think that that puts a lot of pressure on opposing offenses to not let that happen. I'm with you, man. So on defense, I think that the formula should pretty much stay the exact same as it was. Stop the run, make sure that they can't get that established early on, and then, yeah, play with a lead and pin your ears back. Nothing too complicated for the defense. Make sure you're corralling Sean Clifford when you get the chance. Make sure you don't let Nick Singleton get out and get a couple big ones early on you because he can make a big, like a big play for sure. He's pretty quick. He's got some Donovan Edwards to him another former five-star. So don't let him get going. You can frustrate them early and hit Clifford early and often. If you get this pass rush going in the first half, rather than waiting till the second half, I'm going to feel really, really good about it, sir. So, all right. Uh, that's about all I got on it. Let's go ahead and get some players of the game. All right. Players of the game on offense. I really think this is going to be a big game for somebody like Roman Wilson, who had their number last year. He had two touchdowns in it. None of them were, you know, huge plays. The first touchdown he caught was a beautiful throw from Kate. I will give him that. But coming off, uh, I believe it was rumored to be a concussion. I don't want to speculate, but coming off whatever he was working through after the Iowa game, I think he comes back with a vengeance. I want to see he and JJ connect on just – one just give me one more deep ball and it'll do so much to the overall value and just potency of this offense and defensively let's go right to your boy right in the heart of this thing let's go junior colson i think this needs to be a huge junior colson game in the middle whether that's rushing the passer as a blitzer as a normal rusher as stopping Sean Clifford from running and evading the pocket or in pass coverage. If Junior Colson is your player of the game on defense, I don't need to know too much else to feel confident Michigan won this game. Your second point's the best point you've made in years. If Junior Colson's a player of this game, we're winning because that's where they're going to try and attack. So that was outstanding. Do we know Roman Wilson's going to be back for this game? We still don't know yet, right? Again, you could say all signs are pointing to that, but I mean, all signs have been pointing for Nakai Hill Green to play since Hawaii, so who knows? I'm with you. Uh, with that being the case, I'll stick with Ronnie Bell. Some of what you mentioned there in the first half, chance for a revenge game. He was our leading receiver last week. Uh, I'm definitely rocking with him in fantasy so long as Roman's out, and he is getting into a rhythm with JJ and is a great, great possession receiver. So I'll go with Ronnie Bell on offense, although I think this really does Actually, no, I'm changing my answer just because I talked myself out of it. This has got to be a quorum game. It's just yeah. got to be as much as we don't want it to be like you look at the matchup and so much of this is going to come down to if he goes for a buck 50, I would feel like our chances to win it are very, very good. I love your junior Colson thing on defense. That makes a ton of sense. But just for the sake of parity, uh, I'm going to say one of the pass rushers. Let's go Jalen Harrell. If Jalen Harrell can keep it up, I trust Mike Morris to beat his win one-on-one. -on -one. But if Harrell's winning one-on-ones and that pressure is coming from both sides and they're having to double-team Mozzie Smith in the middle every time, it could be a long day. Long day for Clifford, sir. Um, all right, let's go ahead and get your score predictions. 
yes, before I get to that, uh, one last thing on Corum. He went to high school and grew up less than three hours from State College. So this is going to be a very important game from him, really close to the DMV area. So I like what you're saying with him, and I believe he's only like 240 yards away from his rushing total last season. So if he has another big one, watch out. Um, score prediction. So I see the game the way I was describing my players of the game. I think Michigan's going to attack the run early, use the home field advantage, even if you have to wear those gaudy all maze uniforms. I like the reasons behind it. I think the defense is really coming into its own, what you saw in the second half of the Indiana game, to build some momentum. Facing that passing attack last week is just a good test and primer for what Penn State is going to present. Uh, Sean Clifford will present some problems, man. He's just going to have some moments in this game, but I think Michigan's going to have more of them. Harbaugh doesn't lose at home very often at all, didn't lose there last year. I believe the only teams outside of 2020 to beat him at home are Michigan State and Ohio State. So double check me on that, but I believe that to be the truth. And so I'm going with Michigan in this one, 38-21. Man, I've gone back and forth and then forth again about how I feel about this one. I had myself talked into an absolute blowout because of some of the previous matchups against Penn State at home. And I've talked myself into a close game. I almost talked myself into a loss at one point. That's how much I've struggled with this one. But where I've ended up in, you know, through a lot of meditation and reflection with you and, and conversations is that so long as our offensive line is healthy ish, Trente Jones, probably not there for this one, but I like Carson Barnhart and we have Coram at full strength and JJ McCarthy at full strength. I trust us to win. And that's not even talking about the defense, which I probably trust even more than them. So when it all boils down to it, this game could get very tight. They certainly have the dogs, the horses, if you will, to keep up with us in this race. But I trust us at home. I trust Jim Harbaugh. I don't trust James Franklin. Sean Clifford is an okay quarterback, if not an elite quarterback. And we haven't opened things up yet all the way on offense. So I think that there is still something to this offense that we haven't seen yet. And I'm just going to go with my optimism and think that we see this on this one. So I think that Blake Corum finds it in him to have one more big day. I think Edwards has a big day. Almost went with him for player of the game. But I'm going to go Michigan does win this one. Let's go ahead and go with 30 to 23. I like it. No, I... I... Love the way we talk this out. I mean, all week I look forward to our podcast. I mean, not like we don't talk ball any other day, but to just talk ball unencumbered by anything else and really just lay out the facts on both sides and try to look at things. with like Our whole podcast has become a remove the goggle segment. I think that's everything we could have wanted to like not have complete bias in this. So, no, I, I think it's going to be tough. And if Michigan ends up blowing out this Penn State team, I mean, I'm sure the narrative will become, well, Penn State was overrated, not Michigan is very good. But just like I said about Iowa, and people say the offense sucks instead of the defense is elite, that's just the way we perceive things. Sir, at this point, this is a three-game season. I don't think anyone could disagree with me. This is game one of the three-game season, Michigan State being game two, and then the absolute capper being Ohio State. We have done our business up to this point. We are 6-0. and You can gripe about how we got there. You can gripe about point productions or the defense here and there, or whatever you want to do. But the fact of the matter is we're 6-0, and and this now comes down to three games. This is the first of those three. And 
I mean, you, you don't look at the forest for the trees sometime, but it's time to look at the tree that's right in front of you and how important this game is for what we want to accomplish this season. It's a great way to put it, man. I think all all attention will be into this. I mean, I think this will be a full tilt Michigan team. Our first glimpse of what they could become by the end of the season. Like I said, they don't lose at home very often at all. Didn't do it last year. So this, I hold on, let me pull up. I think I have one stat here. The last team to beat Michigan at home was Penn state. If you include 2020 when there were no fans there. So a little more added revenge in this one. Yeah, if you can get those guys thinking about that, but that's just another thing that I think about in the back of my head. Like we have seen Penn State come into the big house and do it before. Maybe it's better that we're getting it out of the way at noon for this one. I don't know. We can speculate wildly. But after the this thing's over, when we talk on Saturday around three o'clock in the afternoon, we're gonna know pretty much everything we need to know about this team. I don't think there'll be many more questions. If we lose, there's a million questions. But if we come out of this as winners, I think we'll have answered pretty much everything there is to answer. What's your biggest remaining question at this point? I think mine pretty clearly is still linebackers and, and play calling. What's your biggest question? Uh, mine is the ceiling of this offense. Have we seen it or is it still there with what McCarthy could become? I think that's what lingers for me. Yeah, and I think that's this game will probably answer that. I really do. So super excited, man. This was great. Loved all the prep this week, diving into this one. This felt like a serious one. Not a lot of jokes in this one, just like down to brass tacks and grinding numbers, chewing on nuts and bolts and spitting out rusted metal. I loved it. Well, speaking of chewing on nuts and bolts, uh, Jersey, what what's the what are the power rankings right now for the jersey you're going to purchase here in just over two weeks? Stormer Jersey watch is a fascinating watch. Uh, came into the season thinking it was going to be DJ Turner and just needed to see something. We've discussed it. DJ Turner just isn't him right now. That's not Jersey worthy. Makari Page hasn't taken the step forward that I wanted. I want it to be in the secondary. But Rod Moore, Moore number nineteen, is a bit of a boring jersey. As awesome as it he is, is but it's still an elite jersey. It is, but like more number 19, like that is a lame combination of last name and jersey. And I apologize because, man, Rod Moore rocking the turnover buffs. That man's got some sauce, but I don't know. Jersey watch, we are as far from an answer as we were in week one, maybe further. Might just be Mozzie Smith. Nothing says cool last name like Smith. (laughs) I was going to say, not more, but Smith. Um, What about your boy Colson? What if he has a big one this weekend? Yeah, Colson's definitely right there. I got the uh, the little like T-shirt jersey thing when I was up there for Colson the other day. But yeah, Colson's on the watch. It's got to be on the defense, but you know, it's the guys on the line that have really stepped up on the defense. Maybe it's a Mason Graham jersey. Maybe that's the way that's I go. Some, that's some mileage right there too. Or if you or if Oki balls out, get you a Yabi Oki jersey. That'd be awesome. Man, he's right up there. He's in the top three favorite transfers already, so that guy's climbing the list. But yeah, Jersey Watch continues deep into the season. Uh, The people are, they're waiting. They're waiting outside of my house for blue smoke to come out of the chimney to say that a jersey has been chosen. At least I'm waiting outside your house. It's fine. (laughs) Andy, go home. (laughs) What jersey is it? Is it Moody? It's a Tuesday afternoon. Go home. Oh, man, (laughs) that's going to do it for us on Out of Blue this week. Thank you for tuning in. Make sure you like, share, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Spotify, Apple, or wherever. You can follow us on Twitter at Maze and Brew. 
I'm Jared. That's Andy. This is Out of the Blue. We'd like to remind you that wherever you go, go blue.